So this trauma taught us a lot about each other as individuals and as partners and everything. And we just, we are very different. We are very different people than we were at the beginning. And we are still growing. I probably would say that it's really hard to kind of see our life as without this in it. Like I can't imagine ourselves without this. It's always gonna be with you. Welcome back to Threads Unseen, unraveling a story of trauma. I'm your host, Sherry Fella, CEO and founder of Bloombase, Brad Swearingen's executive coach, and your narrator on this journey of unraveling trauma. In our last episode, trauma was making itself known across all of the Swearingen family members, and each of them were on their own new journey with themselves and each other. In this episode, we'll explore that process of change, the dark and the light. Some of the discussion in this episode may be triggering to you listeners. Please do what you need to do to care for yourselves as you journey with us. This is episode four. It's part of us now. There are two Gavins. There is Gavin before the accident. There's this, you know, infant that I had that I had these kind of trajectory and these plans for my head. And then there's Gavin after the accident. And Gavin before the accident died. I lost him. And that doesn't mean that I don't love Gavin after the accident. It just means they're they're just two different Gavins. And that is a hard concept to talk about for a lot of people because grieving someone who is still alive is a concept that is hard to wrap your head around. But I have. I mean, that's not how everyone's going to face it, but that is definitely how I have processed it. Um, And I love this Gavin. I love this Gavin. I don't compare the two. It's not like, oh, this one could and this one can't. It's just the way I have grieved loss and and processed for sure. I refer to Gavin before the accident and Gavin post-accident. Like, they're two different people to me, which they are, because right, because he lost all his memories. The little brother who I fed pre-accident and had a first with is very different from the brother I have after the accident. And Gavin changes every day. He's constantly growing and changing, and he is so sweet. I couldn't ask for a better brother, but he's very different from the brother pre-accident. When you look at your kid, you think of all these possibilities that they're going to have. And then you have, if you've attached any of your hopes to some of those possibilities, like you're going to have to grieve that those are gone. (laughs) Was it fair for you to put your hopes on the possibilities of your child? No, (laughs) you learn that later. But when those are gone and you're responsible for those and the slightest thing about thinking about his future or somebody talking about it or not opening up to process those emotions of sadness or maybe anger or whatever it is, those are going to lead you spiraling. And when something bad does happen to you and you genuinely like, I'm not a bad person. Like, why did this happen? That is kind of lost. That innocence is lost where you think, if I just do this, I can keep my kids safe. If I just do this, we will be okay. And at some point, it's just letting go of that control, which is hard. The thing that we wanted the most 
in the hospital and even after the hospital was we kept asking, just show us one example where this turns out okay. And, you know, our definition at the time would have been back to the way it was, but that's not really what okay means. And so to those parents going through it, one, the things I found solstice in was I saw a sign that says it is what it is. And that's kind of the beginning of acceptance, right? I went several times, but one of the visits we went in, once Gavin was more stable, I'd never seen any person in as much pain as that little boy ever. That's family friend Katie Abernathy, who was there the night Gavin fell. That was the, I think, moment where I was like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, this is, this family's life has changed forever. This little boy's life has changed forever. I think it goes to the thoughts, the visions of where you thought he could go or might go. I think they left those behind when they checked into Riley. Accepting, understanding, discovering, embracing. Life with the new Gavin would take a lifetime, a new lifetime. They're still on that journey. There won't be a day that they aren't. Amanda describes one of Gavin's doctors early on who gave her a new perspective she would carry forward. She goes, oh, he fell off a swing set. That is hard. And she was just very no-nonsense about it. And I said, yeah, the first thing we'll do is go home and tear that swing set down. And she looked at me and she said, no, you won't. You will go home and put him back on the swing and you will, like, because that is what life does and that is what you do. And she was so matter-of-fact blunt with me that I was like, oh, okay. And I've never forgotten that because she was just like, this is life and we move forward and bad things happen. Bad things happen doesn't seem quite big enough for what did happen, but I get the doctor's point. And so did Gavin's older sister, Allie. It was frustrating, is the word I would use, because we had just gotten back into, like, we're living with Grandma, and we're there's a routine, and things are going away, and, and then they came home, and everything had to change, right? Because Gavin was not—he couldn't function like a normal kid. Mm-hmm. So safety things went on every single thing in the house, and all this stuff had to be added— We had a person who would come, and she had labels on everything for him. That might have been speech. It's kind of blurry. But, like, all the rooms had to be labels, and there was Post-it notes on everything. And I remember at 8, I was like, this doesn't look like my house anymore. It's changed so much. I just am struck by how hard that must have been. You finally find your rhythm. You come home, but you come home to a different home. Different family. Different family, different home. I guess— In my brain, once they came back from the hospital, everything was going to be normal, right? We're going to go back to our routines and Taco Tuesdays, and mom's going to tuck me into bed, and then she's going to put Moose to bed, and we're going to go to sleep. But it turned into, I need your help getting Gavin ready for bed, and can you go put your sister to bed so that I can deal with him? It was just very different. It was a different family, and it was a different life, I think. We all changed. One of the big changes for the whole family was a new perspective of time. Living in the moment and for the moment began to take on a new meaning in the early days of Gavin's hospitalization. We lived in such uncertainty for so long that tomorrow felt like a luxury. 
today, it was just about getting through today. My perspective is we've lived life in minutes and we've lived life in hours where we need to get through the next 15 minutes. I remember the ICU nurses, they, they encouraged us to go out and get, especially one in particular, she encouraged us to go out and just get some air. Like, you guys need to get out of here. But that day when that nurse told us to go get some air, I went downstairs and a coworker, uh, Reggie, had arrived and he just dropped off a meal just to be uh, kind. Now he he and his family had experienced their own, own life trauma. He just happened to, to be there and he was actually heading out the door. And he said, where are you going? I said, I'm going for a walk. I said, yeah, you wanna go? And he walked with me. And I don't remember what we got talking about, but I hadn't really opened up at all. And so I was still back in shouldering mode from this this new news of what was this life gonna be like. And we we're walking through the hospital and I asked him, I said, How do you how did you how did you do it? How did you make it through? And he gave me the most important advice I'd ever received. He said, I just focus on making through today. And that was one of the most important, if not the most important advice I'd ever received is I can make it through today. I think I am just now starting to use the word years. Eight years after Gavin's accident, the word years is just now kind of coming back. And, and I still don't use it. We talk a lot, you know, when you, when you have kids and they get bigger, they say like, okay, plan for middle school, plan for high school, plan for what they'll do when they graduate. And I'm like, how about we get through this week? It still is too hard for me to like, I can't focus on where Gavin will be when he's 25. From the moment Gavin was injured, Amanda's energy was funneled in a whole new direction. She was focused on Gavin's trauma, not her own. I think I've always been an intense person and I totally own it at this point. A friend of ours describes me as a tornado and I'm like, okay, I kind of, I can own it. There is something about, especially when I am passionate about something or I believe in something, it just takes all of me. And I think motherhood for me has been that. I have been a very passionate parent. And I think this just kind of came, you know, as the next thing that happened is this is what's gotten my intensity, right? Before the accident, her friends would jokingly use Amanda's name as a verb. To Amanda something would be to take it over the top. Now she would Amanda her son's recovery. And while the old Amanda captained her way through the storm, the trauma would require she not only find a new way to captain, but she had to learn to take hold of her own ship. So the nurses and the doctors and things, they would make comments about like, mom is always there. Or per mom, her thoughts are, (laughs) um, even in like the write-ups and things, which were very funny. Being there at every step for Gavin came naturally to Amanda, but she also had to learn to trust her instincts. Her therapist, Gloria Hood, explains. The way she advocated for Gavin was absolutely incredible. And her intuition, she learned to trust her intuition. There were multiple times where she would sit here 
and something would be going on with him that she was observing. And doctors might be saying, they had wonderful, wonderful physicians, but doctors might be saying, oh, I think he's okay. And she's like, ah, no, but I'm seeing this and this and this. I'm just not comfortable with this. And so what we'd have to do is sort through, okay, is this your anxiety talking or is this your intuition oh, speaking? Wow. And there, yeah. there were multiple times where it was her intuition and she, she was a bulldog. She kept pushing for people to keep looking, get a second opinion. Now we need to consider this. And saved his life, in my mind, Yeah, over and over again, made a difference. Gavin has one doctor who he still sees now and has seen for most of his recovery period. And probably every other session or every other appointment, she will put her hands on my shoulders and she'll say, I need you to know that he has recovered the way he has because of how much you have done for him. She does not let me look away. She makes, she's like, look at my face. I need you to know you have done an amazing job. And this boy is as strong as he is because of how hard you fight. And that was so hard for me to hear the really? first five times she said it, right? Like the first, but now like, I know why she's saying it. Because we so often don't get that. Why was it hard for you to hear? I don't feel like I was the one who fought so hard. I know that we all did so much, but it just never felt like something I could own and say, oh yeah, I did that. Amanda would also learn that even a captain has to accept when the ship can't be steered. Clearly trauma had the wheel, not her, on many levels. One of the biggest changes for her was learning what to let go of. Trauma would teach that lesson, wanted or not. Brad and I will both say, like, don't borrow trouble. We're not going to worry about that yet because if it happens, we're just going to have to worry about it again. We always say, as long as we have a plan, we'll be fine. Yeah. Right? Because that's how I am. I am naturally a fixer. I am naturally a planner. As long as I have a plan, I can do anything. You're the captain of the ship. I'm the captain of the ship. How would you describe the difference in you as a mom now from before? If anything, what has shifted for you? It's very different. I have learned to relax about what others think. I have learned to let go that I do not know what is going to come next. I had kids so young, but when I had my kiddos, I feel like I just kind of, you know, I was like, okay, well, everybody goes through the same stages and I know what's coming next. And I had these big thoughts in my head about it, the trajectory of what it looked like. And I just have had to let that go. I don't get spun up about grades and tests and I don't worry about things that are the small things. I'm very mindful about what is big and what is not. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because we've seen what, you know, what it looks like. I've noticed that she's slowed down a little bit. She is more invested in her self-care and her health. That's Amanda's longtime friend, Jess Leland. And you can kind of rein her in a little bit easier in that sense. Before, I remember multiple times she'd be like, I ran, I worked myself until I collapsed. And that's when I went to sleep. And I can't tell you the last time I heard her say that. 
that's just not a thing anymore. And I think she's realizing that you can't take care of anyone if you're not taking care of you, which is a hard lesson to learn. Letting go of what doesn't matter is vital because there is still so much to hold with Gavin and with her own trauma. That weight, the trauma weight, will never be completely lifted. Gavin's journey is really unique in the sense that it is not linear. That we take two steps forward and then we go back. And then something great happens, but because this happened, like his body got tired. And now he's sick, but now he's this. So it, there's no line that this kid follows. And there's no playbook. Yeah. Um, with an injury like his, you never know what's next. And it's not that we haven't asked questions or because no one will tell us. It's because no one knows. Right. right. So even, even things like now, like he's 10 and he's getting bigger okay, what does teenage years, like, what does that look like for him? What does adulthood? And again, this kind of goes back to my, like, it's really hard for me to look ahead, right? Because we are just, we just do right now. He's had so many surgeries to try and fix his skull and have these repairs done and everything. Just as soon as you feel like your shoulders come down, you're holding your breath again. Yeah. So we never feel like we fully exhale. You know, whether it's a surgery that's coming up, like his last surgery was in 2019 to just a few months ago, he started having seizures and blacking out. No one could figure out why. And unfortunately, with a kiddo like him, it's not like I can just take him to a pediatrician and say like, hey, yes, what do you think? They were like, well, we don't know. So then we go to another and they're like, well, let's refer you over here. So then I go to another doctor and we explain and then they're like, well, we don't think it's us. So then we go to a cardiologist and then we go to a neurologist and we meet another neurologist. It's There's no line. We just never exhale. And I, I talk with Gloria a lot about like when things are calm, it's almost scarier because I'm waiting for what's next. Yes. I, yes. Right. And she's like, it doesn't. And, and that's such a funny concept of like, I don't have that much power. Yeah. I, me being not being prepared or whatever, like I don't cause this to happen, but I know as crazy as it sounds in my head, sometimes I would think like, if I just watch, if I'm just careful, if I'm just grateful enough, whatever, I can keep this from happening. But the truth is that you can't. And that feeling of helplessness, that'd be my word for it. Yeah. Is, is it there constantly? Every day. I will never not be scared because he has epilepsy and he has had seizures in his sleep. And like even now, I go in and, and look if he's breathing. Even now, when I go to wake him up in the morning, in the back of my head, I am afraid that he is not going to wake up. When he has a high fever or he gets sick, I am even now afraid because his body is is tired. His body is, has been through so much and it's scary. It's not the same when you have a, a kiddo that you've kind of seen go to the edge and come back. Yeah, and I don't think that that will ever stop. Amanda's friends, Katie and Jess, appreciate the weight that Amanda will carry, as in carry forever. When their son has a headache, there's a whole checklist of things they have to think about. My my 13-year-old has a headache and I'm like, here's your ibuprofen, go lay down, right? And so that just brings a whole nother layer and list of 
potentially worries or things that they need to think through that we probably might just take for granted? Uh, I mean, the thing that comes to my mind is when people who are kind of outside the circle will ask me like, how's Moose doing? Is he recovered? And I try not to parrot Amanda's frustrations too much, but I'm like, he's missing a quarter of his brain or half his brain. Like he is never recovered. He may never have full use of his right hand. People, they want it to be fine. What do you want Amanda to know? I mean, you probably already tell her this, but what do you, what do you want her to know about how you see her or your wish for her as she moves through this the rest of her life? Oh, I just wish she could have some peace. I remember a couple years ago asking, like, when do you get to not worry anymore? When, when can we stop worrying? And she said, never. And then explained why, right? He's got half a brain. As he ages, it could get worse. It could come back. His seizures could get worse, et cetera. And so I don't know when she'll ever have peace. And I, I hate that. Mm. I really hate that for her. That feels heavy just hearing you say it. Of course, I heard her say that even, but it just, it's unimaginable because I haven't been in it. Exactly. You can't imagine it. I can't even imagine it. Yet, on the outside, she's powerful and selfless, wonderful and caring and kind. Like, I don't understand it. Hope and fear, power and weakness, gratitude and guilt. Trauma creates a lot of contradictions. Gloria Hood explains how therapy helps in coping with the complexity that trauma delivers. The way we believe about the world, about ourselves and about our family, usually is going to change after a trauma. Things just look different. You don't think about things the same way again. Integration is another word that we use with, word, with, yeah. with trauma, that we don't have to keep our trauma separate from our life. We might contain it at times so that we're not thinking about it all the time, but we want to integrate whatever meaning it's had and whatever experiences you've been through in life into something positive. But sometimes there's almost too much pressure on that also to yeah. make this positive when really yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll go for the positive, but there are times <laughs> it's just still going to be hard. Guilt is a big thing for me. I want to always be grateful for this life that we have because I never thought that we would be here. So gratitude is really important to me. The problem is when I felt anything else, grief, sadness, exhaustion, anger, any of those things, I felt guilty. You have to be grateful. Be grateful. You don't get to be sad. You have to be grateful. And what Gloria helped me realize is that I have two hands. I can be grateful and I can be sad. It doesn't mean that it's one or the other. One of the amazing things about Amanda is how she has been able to bring a sense of gratitude. She'll look for the little things that she's grateful for. She'll look for the little victories. And then again, on the authentic side, she will sometimes be at a place where Gratitude is just too much, or it's really too painful and too difficult. Then we just give permission to, you don't have to be grateful. Right. <laughs> Not right now. It just hurts. I don't know if you've ever seen um, this really traditional thing of like grief is, you know, a process, right? And so if you see these traditional things where it says like, we start here and we 
we start at denial and we go to anger and we do this and it looks like kind of an arc, right? Yeah. Um, there's also one that says, my grief looks like this and it's literally just <laughs> squiggles and yes. lines everywhere and we go back and forth. That is more of how I would describe okay. me because I have come so far from where I started. Trauma takes as many different paths as transformation does. Amanda's look different than Brad's in its form, shape, timing, everything. For Brad, the transformation has been witnessed by his colleagues, Anne, Denny, and Janice. Some of that transformation was enabled by learning more about emotional intelligence, a journey Brad began before Gavin's accident. To me, it's interesting because all four of us, along with a lot of other people, went through the baseline emotional intelligence training. And I think we all found it very powerful. Brad found it steroid powerful. I mean, it enlightened him. It did. It did. And then after Gavin's accident, I think he found even more value in how that can be useful. So for me, the transformation for him has been very, it's been a genuine journey where he has, you know, fits and starts. He wants very much others to experience that, not with the trauma that came along. but So you have experienced some of what he went through by virtue of having done some leadership training with him, because that was the basis for all of this. So fits and starts, he's still growing from it. But I think he also has gotten to a point where he is coming to understand Gavin's life is full of possibility. And that feeds back, I think, to Brad's own growth. But I think he's working on trying to see, in spite of this horrific tragedy or trauma, there's all the goodness. I mean, and I shared it with him that night. I look at my son differently. I look at my relationships differently because of how that happened. I mean, other things change your views as you get older, but it was pivotal in my life, and I tell him that. So those are positive things, and he's touching people he doesn't know. Trauma doesn't really go away. It's how you cope with it and how you balance the positive aspects that come out of it in spite of the dark. I mean— that emotional intelligence training opened him to at least being open to discussing perspectives and opinions and how you can change those perspectives with different behavior. Nice. So he's more open now. Certainly more open. I'm very, when I, we met, we, I think we were both very private people. We didn't know a lot about each other at all. And now we get together, we spill everything, <laughs> which is, that's part of, I think, his transformation. I remember playing with, I didn't get to see the girls for a long time when Gavin was kind of the acute period. I remember getting to do a play date with Kenna at the time. She's she's young. And uh, going back to the house, we were playing Legos. And from that moment on, everything with your kids just felt different. Like this moment we may never have again. And this is this moment where they're wanting to play and interact. It really is the most important thing that you have, period. 
in your family and your and your friends. And you know, I'm not a perfect dad. You know, work will sneak in. I still think other things are important. Your priorities get out of line. But I think now, as a parent, that those priorities will remind, like, hey, that work thing is not that important. This this is important to you know, Allie, Kenna, or Gavin, or, or, or Amanda, and therefore it's important to you. And that part was for the better. I love that uh, you've made it a couple times, the distinction you made about, of course, you're not grateful this happened. Yeah. Because I think sometimes society expects us to be grateful, look at all the good, like, no, I'm great, maybe grateful for how my family and I got through it, yeah. not grateful it happened. And you've mentioned, you know, just... Gavin today and what a gift he is that otherwise may not have happened. Right. What's Brad today? Weren't you grateful about the Brad today as a result of this? I think I like to think I'm a better parent to all my kids. Still not perfect. Still things. I think I bring in to the workplace when something serious happens, I don't see it that seriously. I'm more worried about what the emotions of everybody's going through are than the outcome that won't matter five or seven years from now, because those emotions will matter five or seven years from now. I hope every leader heard that, that is listening, not just leader, human. Yeah. And I think, so to your point, as a leader, what I would talk to is, I don't believe in organizational reporting lines anymore, for example. I said, show me an organizational reporting line that's not a piece of paper. The way that you work as a team and how you treat human being to human being as a relationship, that's 100% your choice all the time around what you want to do and how you want to interact with these folks. And all these other distractions of work lines and things and politics and things, that's just it. They're distractions. And those relationships that you take with you are the only thing you take with you when you leave and are really probably the only thing that's genuinely important I think all leaders get asked to deliver results, but those results are a byproduct of genuinely putting into the relationship and caring about the other person on a human to being to human being level. For me personally, I've been willing to open up more to be a little bit more vulnerable, or actually a lot more vulnerable with my close friends and friends slash coworkers at work. And I just kind of said that the friends and coworkers at work, these weird barriers we put up. I just, I don't find it important anymore. It's clear Brad has grown in his emotional intelligence by formal training and by the transformation of this experience. Trauma is a hard yet powerful teacher. You've mentioned emotional intelligence. I'd like to talk about that for a minute. Okay. What role that played? Like, when did that come into play? Because you really, that really impacted you so much. So you mm-hmm. sp- kind of sp- became the EI evangelist <laughs> Former role. Yeah. So tell us about that journey of just emotion and emotional intelligence for you. Yeah, that that was a that was an interesting journey. So I'll give credit to Ann Eaton on starting my emotional intelligence journey. Because when I started, I was not emotionally intelligent at all. So this is before the accident. I remember she even pitched the idea of doing this like wonderful program. And I was so self-centered and self-involved. She's telling me about like the 360, you're going to get feedback. And I'm like, why would I want that? And what could I possibly learn from that? But even in the workplace around emotion, or which if I had heard that idea before the accident, I'd be like, I'm not talking about my feelings at work. <laughs> and 
this isn't a let's break out the tissues and fix everybody's problems sort of thing. This is just talking in a level where you want to just engage human being to human being, and you want to engage neocortex to neocortex. That's the goal. Just as a leader in the business, no matter what level you are at, having some empathy to what your coworkers are going through, hugely important. So what would you say to the adage of, you know, there's no place for emotions at work? I would say that's leading you down a path of limited leadership. And that if you really want to understand what it genuinely means to be a leader all the time, not just in this work vision, but all the time to those other human beings that are with you, unlock that potential through feelings and empathy. Limited leadership. Regardless of where you lead, at home with your kids, at school with grad students, in your own business, wherever you are, you are leading. And I hope you heard what Brad said. Stuffing your emotions limits you. All of us need connection to feel. The personal journey with my own mental health and Gavin's accident and the kids and everyone around us, the role of the therapist had one lane. And from how do you open up to how am I willing to share this with anybody to how do you get through grief and begin to process to on the professional side with Janice and Anne and others, the role of coaching is connected and separate, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Let's see if you remember this. I found this. Oh, it's the first mind map you did. <laughs> yeah, yes. it's, uh, this is uh, Brad's course-corrected path. I think we, we did this a number of years ago when we first mm -hmm. sat down. And you helped me really come out with two powerful ideas that I use day to day today. And one is you are not your job. Like your self-worth does not come from your career. And that's hugely powerful. The second piece was around the power of vulnerability. So one of the concepts that has, I think, my own mantra that folks who've worked with me would say is, Brad would say, be the change you want to see in the organization, your community, in the world. And for a long time, that's been easy to say, but much harder to do. We listened to your friends, Denny, Janice, and Anne. Yeah. And they had talked about, especially Janice and Anne had been so transparent, were like, you know, I wish I would have liked him more at first and vice versa, <laughs> probably. And so... Just from your perspective, how do you feel about you? And how do you think you show up differently now compared to before? That's a great question. So the highest compliment that I can give to the coaching and the journey and for all the people that have helped me um, and provided feedback of just when folks like Janice and Anne are telling those old stories or like other colleagues when they're telling those old stories, the people that I know me recently can't even fathom that that's the same person. Really? And I guess that's a high compliment to everyone who's helped me. And I appreciate that. And it is a fundamentally good change for me. I show up different as a person and as a leader today in a number of different ways. Because I'm so vulnerable now, 
I come across as a very authentic leader. And that's, that's good. I mean, people like other leaders that they can identify with. And I think for leaders who want to make change, that path of personal collateral is through vulnerability. And, you know, from that, just that simple thread alone, the things that got created from our coaching sessions was an emotional intelligence community of practice. I just want to pause and thank you for opening those doors. And on your behalf, I am proud to pay it forward, though. This growth in Brad and in Amanda is beyond inspiring given the hand they were dealt. And for them as parents to not only see Gavin impacted, but their daughters as well, I was curious how Brad saw his girls transform. How do you see Allie now? How would you describe her? (laughs) I mean, I asked because a little bit I've spent, they're both just remarkable girls. So how would you describe Allie? And then we'll talk about Kenna. So Allie has this... uh... She's always had this old soul to her and kindness of just wanting to do good things for the world. I think, you know, she ran a fundraiser right after Gavin's accident that raised thousands of dollars. And she's always, like, sneaking him into her room and trying to help him and be the a good big sister, when, especially when he feels scared. Like, I think that's when Allie's beacon kind of kicks on and dives in as if he feels scared, she she jumps in. But the person she is today, she pushes herself and she tries to do hard things, but she is very emotionally intelligent with, you know, even her peers. And sometimes, you know, in high school, that's not going to show up yet. And just how she sees the world. They, they've all kind of had that bubble popped early. And so that bad things can happen to good people. They don't view it in a resentful way. They view it as a challenge to push through and who they want to be as people. So I'm I'm very proud of the person that Allie's become today. She's just a a wonderful young adult. The admiration Brad has for Allie is a two-way street. My dad is very wise. He would laugh at me because I would never say that in front of him. But my dad is like constantly giving advice. He's that person who's, who's quiet, but then... His life advice he gives me is invaluable. So how would you describe Kenna? She will not hesitate to kind of push Gavin, probably past his limits sometimes, but those barriers are gone. But she's also just willing to be her own person, no matter what that looks like. And so I love that about her. She's she's very philosophical. She's like her own person. She likes solving tough problems, but... Her role today is incredibly important in that she will give love without expecting any any in return. And what Brad wants for his kids is different now, too. Fundamentally, I want to make a difference in this world. Those are my core values today. So these things that like I would value of like, you know, the kids the best at this or they do I want them to be at their best. But more important. You know, how do they make others feel in the in the world today is what's important. They're going to become wonderful people no matter what path they choose in, in life. Family friend and honorary aunt Jess Leland has often worried the girls would feel Gavin is on a pedestal. It's been interesting talking to the girls. I mean, they're just 
amazing. Like mm. their parents, delightful. What would you want them to know right now, whether it's reflecting back or just how you're feeling right now? What What do you hope the girls know? Just how loved they are by their parents and by me. We couldn't do this without them. There is no tier. There's no tier one, two, and three. Some things just inherently need more. And Moose may always need more, but that doesn't mean he's worth more. Along with the changes in each family member have also come big changes in how they relate to one another. It has taken a lot of work and understanding, but those threads have gotten stronger. Never when I was 21 and getting married, and I was so young, and I never thought to ask Brad, what is your trauma response? That wasn't in the conversation as we were picking out wedding dresses and invitations. And what I would say now, being almost 40, um, is that I wish we would have had more conversations. Um, Certainly we couldn't have have known what we were going to face together when we got married, but certainly just having those conversations before. What do you need when things go wrong? How can I help you? Learning how to communicate what I need, but then also being able to listen is really, that has taken us a long time, but it has really changed our marriage. We choose every day, Brad and I have to choose to be married to each other. We have to choose to be a team. I have to choose over and over again to not just lay down on the floor and give up, right? Because that's an option. We just have to keep getting up. And some days are are harder than others, but at the end, you know, you, you stumble a little, but then you come right back. I think we, and it is, it is a continual work in progress, but what we know now is that it's a choice and that we have to work at it. It's not a set it and forget it kind of thing. And it changes and we've grown as people and we continue to grow. And I think that it, we're better for it in that sense. You're laughing because... What would you say? I'm struck by your power of choice. You've mentioned that word a lot, yeah. right? Brad, what, how would you describe? What's the, how are you now? No, as a couple? I, it, she's, she's spot on. I would, I would say we've, we've gone from realizing the other person's not, not, not wrong 100% of the time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're very good at just talking. This is how it's impacting me rather than casting blame or assuming peace, but just like talking through what our feelings are. And actually, I mean, even that's not a couple's thing anymore. That's like the whole family. They're excellent at talking about their feelings and in that capacity, just doing it a different way. And that, that seems to work much better. So Amanda does so many of the things throughout this journey that I never could even see myself doing now or or, or then. Like all these weird navigations of finance to insurance to getting them into the right medical place and without hesitation, if it's not working, hey, I, I love you, but we're going to go this other way. And just opening so many doors for him to get to the, the right place. I think where she is now is just this amazing mom who wants their kids to be uh, at their best and wants the family to be at their best. And then as a partner, I, I couldn't have done this journey with with anyone else. And I, you're my rock in this journey. Like, 
when uh, I think the one person who understands, because I won't give obvious clues when I'm not okay, and she will tell right away and pull the cord on whatever is causing that and help save me. So, yeah. Amanda, how about for you? I think Brad has become an entirely different person. And not that I didn't love pre-Brad. It's just Brad is, has changed so much. And I think everyone in his life identifies that he's grown emotionally and really opened up, which is not emotions and social things. Like those don't come naturally to him. Like he's had to work really hard to kind of figure out because he's in his own space. He's in his own head. So he's just grown. But I think what Brad has been through this whole thing is he's just been this consistent, steady drumbeat for this family. And he's like, we've got this, right? And he does, Brad just kind of goes in one straight line. Like he's like, he doesn't get rattled real easily. Like a doctor could come in and tell us this chaotic, like crazy thing. And Brad's like, okay, I hear you. And here's me, who's this big emotional person, and I'm just all over the place, and I'm here and there and stuff. And then when I slow down and, like, I come back, he's like, I was here waiting for you to get back here with me, but I have to be all over. But I know when I come back, that's where he is. But he's right. I could not have done this journey with anybody else because he's the only person that knows. And... um as difficult as it is going through something like this with someone who's so different, it's why it worked. Sisters Allie and Kenna have also become tightly bonded over this experience. They joke a lot about bickering, but when I asked them how they got through the tough days, the depth of their connection was clear. I think it's easier for Kenna and I because we have each other. Uh, I don't think that's the case for everyone. That makes sense. Kenna is, we're a pair. We yeah. go together. It's Allie and Kenna. <laughs> I think I wouldn't have been able to do this without Kenna. So, oh, I, now I made it awkward for yeah, her. Yeah, this is really awkward now. Yeah, this, now, it's, now we just hit the awkward spot again. Thanks. Sorry, Kenna. I've never heard Kenna talk this much, honestly, in front of other people. <laughs> this is kind of incredible. I think there's almost a barrier or a wall we've put up. A veil. Yeah, like a, a wall around our emotions because... I don't know. You, it's important not to take the ball down. It's important to yeah, take the walls. Open a window. Mm. Now we're together in our fortress. Right. Our family. They're connected, but Ken and I have kind of our own like bubble, I think. Walls, barriers, veils. These are some of the metaphors we heard to describe trauma from the family frequently in our talks. Trauma was still seeping out in new and different ways all these years later. Facing trauma is a brave choice, and facing it through this project makes their courage even more inspiring. What made them choose to tell their story so honestly and so personally? We'll talk about that in our next episode. This has been Episode 4 of Threads Unseen, Unraveling a Story of Trauma. This podcast is produced by Bloombase. At Bloombase, we understand that true development begins in the inner landscape. So often in our work with executive leaders, we witness the tendency for leaders to identify a problem and then swiftly get to work problem solving. The harder, braver work is in the inner work. 
And when we focus inside of ourselves, the world around us changes as a result. In our coaching at Bloombase, we see clients as whole people. The lines between personal and professional are not black and white. In fact, very little in our lives can be so easily cordoned off. The gray area, the messy middle, in the ambiguity lies the hardest and truest learning about ourselves. In coaching, you have a partner with you in the depths of that learning space to invite in new awareness, unseen threads about yourself, to unleash your potential. Our coaching partnerships result in high-performing, emotionally intelligent leaders whose growth and impact continue to ripple long after they have left our engagement. Learn more at thisisbloombase.com.